Good morning. How's your weekend been? Good. I'm just talking so I can move things. There we go. All right, thanks. This small talk. All right. Let's get to the Bible. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 through 12. Uh, no, verses 1 through chapter 12, verse 8. Uh, we're getting to the end of Ecclesiastes. Maybe that's a relief for you. I know it kind of is for me. Uh, or maybe you're like, ah, no, I like getting beat up every Sunday. Um, but it's good. It's good. We're, we're, we're actually getting to the last words of the preacher, or Kohelet, or as we believe, Solomon, today. And the next Sunday is going to be a little bit of a narrative, kind of wrap it all up in the text itself. Um, and here's what we know. Through Ecclesiastes, God has been radically resetting your perspective on life. This is what he's doing. He wants to break your fingers so that you will let go of the things that you're holding on to, as Pastor Reeves said, that are killing you. He wants us to let go, change our perspective, look through different lens, or look through a different lens in life. This is what he wants us to do. He doesn't give much after that. He kind of leaves it to the rest of the Bible. He says, you got to let go of that if you hear anything. Um, when I was a kid, one of the things, just to illustrate this, that we had was called a Viewmaster. Does anybody remember the Viewmaster at all? All right, thank you. All right. Usually when I say these things, everyone's like, what are you talking about? If you don't want to know what a Viewmaster is, it's, it's basically like this red thing that looks like plastic binoculars that kids used to have before iPads and phones. And you, would, you had this circular uh, photo disc that would slide into the Viewmaster, and then you could click it like a camera, and it would be like different scenes of like a Disney movie or The Lion King or Cinderella or something like that. And we just thought this was amazing. This was amazing. Um, and just I, I would spend hours looking at that. He wants to take that out of your hands and step on it in your face. Because here's what we're looking at. I'm looking at life through the lens of my, my youth, my beauty, my success, my career, and ultimately my happiness. And I just click through them like that's my life. That's what it's going to be. His single motive in this book is to take that out of your hands and crush it. That's what he's trying to do. And the question that we've been hanging on over and over, is life gift or gain? Is your life, your skills, the things that you have, did God give those to you that you might build value and perfection and meaning and dignity outside of him, or is it a gift? Is all of life a gift? That's the hanging question. So today, Ecclesiastes is going to look at life through a lens we haven't looked at yet. I just tell you, it's weird. He's going he's gonna to want you to look through the lens of the things that you don't know in life. Now, almost that sounds like anti-wisdom right up front. Because usually we look at life through what we do know. Well, here's what we do know about life. Now, he's pushing that away and said, I want you to look at your life through what you don't know about it. Very good, very helpful. This is God's word, and he's wise. So when you think about what you don't know about life, what does that do to you? Normally it paralyzes you. When you're walking into something you don't understand, you stop. You freeze. Um, just think about this in very practical terms. Telling my friend, hey, dude, you should ask that gal out. How's that going to go? I don't know how that's going to go. No way. What are you afraid of? What if she says no? Well, let me help you. She's probably going to say no. I know her. Just do it. 
but we're paralyzed because we do not know the outcome. And so Ecclesiastes, this, this section we're looking at today, he wants us to look through this lens. He's going to give us a different lens, a different view master. Look at your life at what you do not know about it. And he just, I'm just going to give you the spoiler right now. Here's what the text is going to say you don't know about your life. And this has been going on throughout the entire book of Ecclesiastes. One is the future. You do not know the future. There is absolutely no guarantee that you're going to wake up tomorrow or that this world is going to be here tomorrow. That is one of the truest things that I can tell you. We do not think that way, but we must learn to think that way. You have no influence on your future. You do, but you really don't because you didn't create it. So you don't know your future. You don't know how to control God's world under the sun. And you spent your entire life trying to like, look at the circumstances, react to them, get in front of them. This is how we try to have a good life, but you don't know how to do it. You don't have enough information or wisdom, uh, probably because you don't know the future, how to control God's life under the sun. And this is it. You don't know how to guarantee success. You absolutely don't know how to do it. You cannot produce an outcome in your future that you want. It's impossible. And you might say, well, maybe, but I've kind of done well so far. You're looking through youth. Look through what you do not know about your future, what you cannot control. So as we jump into the text today, and I'm not going to pre-read it. We're just going to walk through and just let him hit it with us and then kind of deal with it. Um, I want to just kind of see it raw today. But as we read through this, look at all the things he says that you don't know. Look through that lens and think about this for yourself. How are you approaching the things in your life that you cannot control? that you've learned that you just cannot control. Let me give you some examples. How do you approach... Um, well, I forget that. I'm not going to give you some examples. Whoops. It's been a long week. Um, let me give you some ways you, ta- you, you will respond to things you can't control. First is you run away from them. You flee. You're like, no, nope, don't understand that path. I'm out. Or you become a tyrant. You over-control it. You hold on so tight that you smother everything and everyone around you. Or you just resign yourself to defeat. It's like, yeah, I don't know what the future is. I give up. You wave the white flag. Or you ignore it. You just completely ignore it all like it's not happening. Or a lot of us here, we have false optimism. Hey, it's worked out so far. So this is probably a good sermon for those people that aren't wise like me. But, you know, just not trying to be arrogant, but it's kind of working out. False optimism. How do you approach the things you cannot control? Let's look through this lens. Um, And here's what you're going to find. He's going to tell you to stop counting what you're losing. You spend your life just counting what you're losing. You think of decisions. And he, what he wants us to do, what God wants us to do, is start using what we have. Quit living your life based on mitigating risk and what you're going to lose if you do something. And start, just start using what you have. That's faith. Start walking with what you have and trusting the Lord for it. Um, how, we're gonna, how the text will disciple us through this is three ways. Live open-handed, explain that. Live intentionally and live to remember God. It's very simple. What does it mean to stop counting the loss or counting what we're losing and start using what we have? So let's, let's dig into it. Um, we're going to start in chapter 11, verse 1. And I want you to think, again, put your eyes on what you do not know. Here we go. And we're going to put this up on the screen so you can follow along. He says, "'Cast your bread upon the waters, for you will find it after many days.'" 
Give a portion to seven or even eight, for you know not what disaster may happen on earth. If the clouds are full of rain, they empty themselves on the earth. And if a tree falls to the south or to the north, in the place where it falls, or in the place where the tree falls, there it will lie. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. As you do not know the way of the Spirit comes to the bones in the, in the womb of a woman with child, so you do not know the work of God who makes everything. In the morning sow your seed, and in the evening withhold not your hand, for you do not know which will prosper, this or that, or whether both alike will be good. What you do not know is going to paralyze you, but he's asking us to be energized by it. Let me talk a little bit about, you opened the door here, uh, Pastor Reeve. You said millennial, so let's just talk briefly about generations. Did you know that every generation, in a way, is defined by what they fear? Now, the greatest generation, like my mom, God rest her soul, she was born during the Great Depression, went through World War II, You know what their greatest fear is? Running out of stuff. Have you ever seen this? You've been to your grandma's house and you're like, hey grandma, why do you have 17 bottles of lotion? She's not going to say because I'm afraid of running out. It's built in to the life that they lived. I'm worried about running out of provisions. My mom's pantry is full of stuff. She would tell me, hey, when you go to Walgreens, can you pick up some more mineral oil? I don't even know what you do with that. And then I would get it. She's like, it's on sale. Get me 20 bottles of it. And then I would walk in and open the pantry. And I'm like, where do you want me to put it? Oh, just behind the other 52 bottles. It's fear. Boomers. Baby boomers. What do they fear? Not having enough resources to live how they want. Now, they grew up as economic expansion was happening. Boomers don't want to live in a world where they don't have enough resources to live how they want to vacation how they want, to do what they want. I'm going to skip over my generation and go to my adopted generation, the millennials. All right? Been drafted. Love it. What are you guys afraid of? Nothing. We got it right. You know what you're afraid of? You do. You're afraid of losing personal freedom. You're terrified of commitment. You're terrified that your options will start to shave away as life goes on until you're just, you have nothing left but responsibility. And this is why we are the basement generation, right? Like, yeah, school's done, master's done. Um, I'm just going to hang out in the basement here until I have to, like, enter into this horrible life that you guys are living because I don't want it, right? FOMO and FOBO, you guys invented that. Fear of missing out, fear of better options. Just like Johnny said, if your calendar's free, you can do it. And you're like, come on, we all did this. Eh, we'll see. We'll see. Living to manage risk is not life. It's not. Verse 4, this, is, this pretty much sums it up. He who observes the wind will not sow, and he who regards the clouds will not reap. Spend your life trying to determine what the weather is, and you've wasted your time. You will not commit. So let's just go through four things. If we we want to understand um, what it means to live open-handed, we have to understand what the text tells us we do not know. So here's four things the text identifies as things that we do not know and will not know. One is this. It says, what disaster may happen on earth? Living in a fallen world means you're going to experience things like disease, oppression, Hurricane Florence, 
Nobody really knew where that thing was going to go. This is why we're always mad at weathermen, right? They really don't know what's going to happen. They have a pretty good idea, but disaster may happen on earth. Disaster may happen in your life. It might be a car wreck. It might be Florence. It might be cancer, but it, it could happen. You do not know. Secondly, we don't know what will prosper. We try to, like, like a pagan culture, just try to throw the bones down and try to read them and like, how's my future going to work out? You don't know what's going to prosper in your life. There's no guarantee to what you've committed to is actually going to work out. There just is no guarantee of that. Uh, number three, we don't know the way the spirit comes to the bones in the womb of a woman. What is he saying by this? You can't even give an answer for how life exists. Now, we can define it a little bit, and we can make some theories about how life got here, but you don't understand it. You can't give an answer for what it means to be a sentient being. You don't understand what life, in essence, is. We can't give an answer for our life or for death, or even what it means. Don't know. You don't know that. And lastly, we don't know the work of God who makes everything. This is what he's getting at. If that weren't enough, You can't wrap your head or your hand or your arms around what God's doing, both generally in the world or in your life. To quote John Piper, he says, God is doing 10,000 things in my life, and I'm aware of maybe three of them. Maybe. Maybe three of them. And it's usually way after the fact, after it's happened. Things we don't know. So, what is his conclusion? He says, cast your bread upon the waters... How do you get to that? He's making conclusions that just, we would never get there. He says, therefore, cast your bread on the waters and give a portion to seven or eight. Be generous. All right, so let's walk through that. This is a weird verse. A lot of people don't know what it means. Some people say, well, he's saying, he's making a comment about sea commerce. Okay, it kind of makes sense. Cast your bread upon the waters, especially in that environment. That was a big deal back then around the Mediterranean. Some people say he's giving investment advice. And I, I, you can use it as investment advice. Don't put everything in one basket. That makes sense. But I don't think that's what he's saying, especially based on the fact that he's saying you don't even know what God's doing. He's saying choose to posture your life this way. You are receiving from God As a receiver, open your hand and live generously. This is what he's calling us to do. He just doesn't really tell us why. We get to choose what to let go of. That's what we get to do in life. Over and over and over. Instead of living our life trying to grab onto something, whether that's finances or our family or our community, and make our life about that. He's saying, live open-handed, choose to let go of these things, because you don't know. He kind of wraps it up in verse 6, saying, in the morning, sow your seed. In the evening, withhold not your hand. That's a way of saying, get busy, for you don't know what will prosper. You guys are wasting time thinking about how you should spend your time, is what he's saying. Live open-handed. Now, before we kind of get into what that could specifically mean, you do realize that a lot of times the things that we think are high sins, the Bible just yawns at. Like, if I said a curse word, that's not even a word. If I said a cuss word right now, I guarantee you that would really offend you. Probably so, right? Do you know that the Bible may just highlight something as a major sin and we just never, never think of it? 
laziness. He's getting there. He goes there. Idleness. Like, yeah, I think laziness and idleness is, is really bad too. How many hours did you spend on Instagram last week? And Snapchat? And YouTube? Well, hey, man, I mean, it's a new, like, Solomon didn't have that. It's different now, man. I got to keep up my public image because people care. They don't care. And I don't care. Idleness is a high sin. You know why? Because your time as a, a living image bearer of God is your most valuable asset. When it goes, it goes, right? Idleness is a sin, and there's a thin line between living cautiously and being just lazy. Idleness, it's a sin. We don't think it is, but by, read Second Thessalonians. Paul rails on it. So living open-handed is learning to loosen your grip on this life on this future while trusting God right here and right now. Um, Think of it this way. If certainty, like when you're making decisions about what you're going to commit to, if certainty and safety are prerequisites for you to make a decisive decision, that's even a word, you might as well just dig a hole and hide in it. And you're like, yeah, that kind of feels good. Mm, Live open-handed. Give it away. Here's a couple ways we can do that. And I'm just going to go on the, on the, I'm just going to use the biblical paradigm of a tithe because scripture uses that as a biblical paradigm of how we give, right, financially. Would you be willing to give away 10% of your reputation for God? What about half of it? What if half of the people that you knew were like, oh, they're one of those Christians. I just, I don't, I don't want to be around them. Would you do that? Would you, would you give away 10% of your time Instead of three to four hours a day surfing the internet, buying stuff, looking at stuff you're never going to buy or shouldn't buy, or looking at everybody's news feeds and their amazing, wonderful, beautiful life, or trying to pretend that you have one like that as well, would you give 10% of that to the Lord? Could you do that? Or of your money? Or of your success? Are you willing to give your success away? Would you, would you cast your bet on the waters if it meant giving away success? Man, um, I have a friend of mine who's just a dear friend. He's not a believer, but he's, his name is Ravi. You might have met him. He's come here before, but he's a motivational speaker. He speaks all over the world, mostly to education symposiums. This is what he said about you guys. He said, millennials have been robbed of the gift of failure. Nobody ever let you fail. Everybody got a trophy. Everybody said, if you don't get to do what you do, that is the real failure. Everybody took that out of your court and overprotected. If you're living for your own success, that is a prison. Because as you do know, not everybody does get the trophy. Um, Failure is a great teacher. And if you run from success, if you run to success, you're never willing to fail. Never. You might be worshiping success. And, And his point was that when millennials learn to fail... They're going to just open up and take over the world. When they start, when they stop fearing failure, and they start actually taking risks, stop protecting everything, they're going to live well. Um, one of my professors in seminary said this. <laughs> he was telling this story because he was in finance before he went into ministry. He was in, in New York on Wall Street. And he said, um, one of his friends told him, I actually think it was his boss, 
said, you know what? This is like two decades ago. You should invest in Amazon and Apple because they're going to do well over the next two or three decades. And, and my friend, the professor, was like, Haha. right, an internet bookstore and a washed-up computer company. Because thanks, but no thanks. Two decades ago, he was like, man, if I had to listen to that guy, I wouldn't have to sit here with you fools and teach all day. And I think he meant it. I was like, thank you? His point was this. You, your life, what are you investing in? Are you investing your life in what God has given you and the opportunities he has given you? Are you doing that? Are you wasting it? Are you living open-handed? Or are you holding on to everything that you have to build your own life on your own terms? That is a death grip. Stop counting what you're losing, right? Stop, stop looking at that. Start using what God has given you because it might be the only thing you get to glorify him and to enjoy him. Live open-handed. Um, and there's another way to say this. There is a worse fate than dying. And here's what that worse fate is. Never living. Have you ever seen Braveheart? Mel Gibson? Yeah, okay. Well, it's a good movie. Um, he says cool things in it. And one is, this is one of the cool things. He says, as he's about to get tortured, he said, every man will die, but not every man will live. It's kind of what he's saying here. Live open-handed. Next. Okay, if we're going to understand what that means, you must live intentionally. It's not, a, it's not good enough just to, to cast your bread on the water. Do you know what you're doing? Do you understand why what you're doing matters under the sun? You're not trying to get a God's attention. You're not trying to earn salvation. You're not trying to say, hey, God, look at me. I'm being generous. That's your heart, right? I want my heart to match up to your heart. Do you love me now? No, no. We have been given God's grace, his approval, his affirmation through faith, so we live open-handed. Verse 7, here we go. We're going to put it on the screen as well. Light is sweet, and it is pleasant for the eyes to see the sun. So if a person lives many years, let him rejoice in all of them. But let him remember that the days of darkness will be many. All that comes is vanity. Rejoice, O young man, in your youth, and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and in the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these things, God will bring you into judgment. Remove vexation from your heart and put away pain from your body. For youth and the dawn of life are vanity. Man, this guy would be no fun at a party. He's not lying here. He's like, enjoy your life, follow your heart, but know that God will pull you into judgment. And so there's a warning there, isn't there? You're like, well, wait a minute, that seems like a trick. No, he's being serious. God will bring you into judgment for that. And we think, well, that means I can't follow my heart. If you are submitting to God, your heart will start to bend towards him. So there's that. But I want you to think about this for a minute. Think about the coming judgment. Think about the fact that your life will be judged. All right? Think about it from this perspective. Everything that you do and everything that you don't do has eternal meaning and eternal weight because Jesus will judge you. Weight. Meaning. What gives meaning to your life? The fact that how you live and how you don't live will be evaluated. We try to find meaning in so many other ways. There is no higher meaning than this. In fact, this is how Ecclesiastes ends at the, very, at the very end. And we kind of bristle at that. Who has the right to judge me? Well, the one that created you. 
We can agree on that. So the coming judgment. Um, we live, so how do we, as the New Testament church, understand this? Well, we live in the age of the kingdom. The arrival of King Jesus and also the, the return of King Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says about his own arrival. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in namely in the name of the only son of God. Friends, we live in an age where grace is open-ended. Where your judgment can take place today through faith. That's powerful. That is powerful. And because we know Jesus is returning, this kingdom that's been inaugurated will close. Everything that we do and don't do has eternal meaning and significance. That, that is powerful. Listen to how he speaks about his return. So he comes not to judge, but to save. Second Timothy 4 says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing, this is when he comes back again, and his kingdom. Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. He's telling Timothy, don't waste your life, man. Do this. We live between the coming of Jesus and the return. Everything we do matters. Get on it. Get in the fight. Live in that world. So let's wrap this up. Um, how, how should we live like that if we're to understand to live intentionally? Well, not only should you live open-handedly because the debt of your sin has been paid by God, right? You, you, your debt's canceled in Christ, not because of anything amazing you've done, but because if you choose to receive it, his work, okay? Not only that, you should live intentionally because Jesus is returning, we live in that age. It should give weight to everything that we do. Um, as another way Jesus says it, whoever loses his life will save it. Whoever keeps his life will lose it. Whoever will save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. Um, the same professor that told us that funny story kind of told us a tragic story. It wasn't really tragic, but it sounded like it. He said, you know, my dad is a dentist. And we grew up in a very small, meager home. We felt poor. And we kind of were poor. And his mom and dad are just strict. They love the Lord. And they're retired now, and they're missionaries somewhere in the world. And he said, it's my dad that's getting up in age and he's helping me to like settle his estate before he dies. I was shocked. This is how the conversation went. Dad, you were making between seven and 900,000 a year. How am I not a trust fund brat? Where's the money? It's like, you paid for school, thank you. But why am I working? Where did the money go? He's like, boy, do you know where we're living and what age we're living in? Do you know the grace of God has appeared and it's opened up for everyone? I am not going to waste it on ruining your life. You will not be a trust fund baby because that will destroy your focus on this fact. Jesus has come opening grace for every tribe, tongue, and nation. This is the long-awaited Messiah and King, and he will return, and it might be next week. We're not going to waste our time or our money. And 
this professor said that changed my life. Like he understands the importance of living intentionally. And the text finishes with this call, live to remember God. Listen, (laughs) this is Solomon's long goodbye. He's closing out. He's paying the check. He's walking away. Listen to how he does this. And what I want to tell you about chapter 12 and verses 1 through 8, I want you to, he wants you to see yourself, and he wants you to see yourself dying. He does. Don't look away from this. This is his charge to us. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth, before the evil days come and the years draw near, of which you will say, I have no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars are darkened and the clouds return after the rain, in the day when the keepers of the house and the strong men are bent. Okay, so let's, let me just kind of open up some of the imagery here. It's a little poetic. He's saying, remember, your, remember God in your youth, and here's why. In the day when the keepers of the house tremble, that's basically your arms. And the strong men are bent, that's probably your legs. And the grinders cease because they are few. You're going to lose your teeth. And those who look through the windows are dimmed. The eyes die too. And the doors on the street are shut. And the sound of the grinding is low, and the one rises up at the sound of a bird, and all the daughters are song are brought low. They are afraid also of what is high. You're done taking risks. And the tares are in the way, and the almond tree blossoms, white hair. Man, he's mean. The grasshopper drags itself along. Grasshoppers are good at motion. Could you imagine that? You're immobile. And your desire, your desire fails. Your sexual virility is gone. Because the man is going to his eternal home. Your time under the sun is over. And the mourners go about the streets before the silver cord is snapped or the golden bowl is broken or the pitcher is shattered at the fountain. It's going to come when you least expect it. Or the wheel broken at the cistern, and the dust returns to the earth as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher, all is vanity. Please believe this. Everything that you anchor your hope to under the sun will be buried with you. Everything. He wants us to remember God now. Remember God now in the age of our youth. Um, Living to remember is very, very important. Let me give you a little context on why that matters. Listen to how God discipled Israel out of Egypt. Deuteronomy 5.15 You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. And the Lord your God brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Do you know how we organize or how Pastor Johnny Reeve organizes our liturgy? Well, let me tell you. It's organized around this. We remember the gospel. We remember just what God said. He delivered us. We rehearse it. We rehearse the gospel. We sing it. We read it. We let it impenetrate us. And then we respond to it. Fresh repentance, fresh comfort, fresh joy. Remembering God is all about worship. It will stop you in your tracks. 
when you're about to do something stupid or when you're about to waste your life or you're about to spend your time in a way that is just a waste. Just a waste. So let me ask you a question. What's in your view, Master? What are you clicking through? What perspective are you using to see your life? Is it like, hey, I'm young. None of this matters a whole lot. I can control my body, so I'm beautiful. Hey, maybe I'm ugly, but I'm successful, and everybody knows it. And my career's rocking, and you're going to work for me. Or maybe you have none of that, but you're like, at least I'm happy, you know? I'm looking through the lens of my own happiness. Grouchy Uncle Solomon is going to come over to you, and he's going to take the viewfinder, the viewmaster. He's going to put it before you, and he's going to step on it with his dusty boot, and he's going to grind it in front of your face. This is what Ecclesiastes does. And he's going to walk away. And you're like, hey, man, that was my life. That was my life. basically getting to say, no, it wasn't, idiot. Nothing under the sun, especially your life, belongs to you. And our response is, but, but now what? And he walks away. Just points up. Do not anchor your hope down here. Don't. Don't build a life on what you can gain down here. This is the message of Ecclesiastes. And when you believe that, it brings a new fear. You know what your new fear is? I no longer am overwhelmed by my provisions or what I don't have or taking on responsibility or losing freedom or not living how I want. You know what my new fear is? Oh, what am I holding on to? I forget about what I'm losing and I fear what I'm holding on to. That's the fear of God. That's where we go. So, I love you guys a lot, and I, you have discipled me, right? Um, you love, the, you know what people say about this church? They're like, I don't know, it's a weird church, but man, they love Jesus. Why? I'm like, I don't know. I really don't. Because of Jesus? Stop counting what you're losing, friend. Start using what God has put into your hands. Live open-handedly. Posture your life that way. Live intentionally, because you're going to be judged. And live to remember God. Live to remember God. Don't fear what you're losing. Let go of it. Fear holding on to the wrong thing. Okay? I'm going to close with the words of Jesus, Luke chapter 12. Um, This is, in a way, his version of the end of Ecclesiastes. Listen to this. Luke chapter 12, verse 16. Just listen. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? for I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns, and I will build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods, and I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool. This night, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, 
whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Hold on to him. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. It hurts us. You discipline us with it. God, may we not back, may no one back away from the discipline that you are giving them as a loving father right now. If you have to break our fingers to let go of false worship, do it. May we live fully for you in the knowledge that it is your love that matters. And I pray that you would make that more and more real to us, Lord Jesus. And I thank you that you don't just give us wisdom, you give us life. In the name of Jesus, amen. We're going to continue.